Well, I want to get just a show of hands as we begin. Uh, how many of you have ever tried to purchase a travel policy for, for while you were going away? Uh, it's maybe not an experience that all of us have had. Few of us maybe have had. Uh, some of our, our work insurance uh, covers certainly parts of our travel. Uh, certainly uh, the plan that I have is through our, our church, certainly helps with that. But when we were traveling to South Africa a couple of months ago, uh, we felt like it was probably going to be necessary to have a plan that would extend uh, for the full 44 days that we were going to be away. And so I got on the phone and started calling uh, some providers of travel policies. Now you would think that this would be a fairly straightforward, simple process to make the travel uh, process a little bit easier, but it was quite long and quite extensive, and it was very difficult to get a straightforward answer as far as what does this policy cover. They would send us the policy itself, which was a lot of uh, very small print, um, so you have to be aware of that. There are a lot of small print, and then a lot of additional details, and in particular, we were looking at a policy that would also cover the, the fact if we were to catch COVID while we were away, that would then cover some of the extended expenses for if we had to change our flights or also uh, some additional accommodation. And so what I kept wanting to know of, okay, is it going to cover this scenario? Is it going to cover this scenario? Is it going to cover this scenario? And the salesperson would not answer my questions via email. I had to talk to them on the phone about it, but of course then you're put on hold for a length of time. Anyways, we ended up with the policy, felt good about it, and uh, thank the Lord we never actually ended up needing to use it, which you could say, well, you know, why'd you get the policy then? But, you know, you have it in these sorts of cases. And once again, we wanted to know, will this work for the needs that we're going to have? And many of us, as we think about how we see the world, in other words, our worldview, we want to think about, do the things that I believe in my head, do they actually make a difference in my day-to-day life? And when it comes to Christianity, Christianity presents us with the reality that Jesus rose from the dead. He bodily resurrected. He physically rose from the dead. He was dead, and then he came back to life. I I want to tell you, he was dead, okay? Physically dead. No more heartbeat. And then he came back to life. Christianity, in our face, says Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Now, many people will just dismiss Christianity altogether then and say, well, Christianity, <laughs> you believe what? They'll say, no, you can't believe that. Now, there's been quite a number of different reasons to take uh, seriously the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, Tim Keller, in his book, The Reason for God, points a few of these reasons out. He writes, it's not enough for the skeptic to simply dismiss the Christian teaching about the resurrection of Jesus by saying, well, it just couldn't have happened. He or she must face and answer all these historical questions. One, why did Christianity emerge so rapidly with such power? No other band of messianic followers in that era concluded that their leader was raised from the dead. Why did this group do so? No group of Jews ever worshipped a human being as God. What led them to do that? Jews did not believe in divine men or individual resurrections. What changed their worldview literally overnight? Or how do you account for the hundreds of eyewitnesses to the resurrection who lived on for decades and publicly maintained their testimony, eventually giving their lives for their beliefs? In Christianity, We are confronted with Jesus rose from the dead, and we have great reason to believe it. But then Christianity goes a step further and says, because Jesus rose from the dead, there are all of these spiritual realities for you and for me if we trust in this resurrected Jesus. 
the, the fact remains as well that it's not simply the reality that he's rose from the dead that leads to spiritual realities for you and for me. Is that it's also that if he didn't rise from the dead, then all of those spiritual, reality, all those spiritual realities are null and void. Hear what we read in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17 on the screen. And if Christ has not been raised, this is Paul writing to the Corinthian church, probably challenging some of those who believe, no, there's no way Jesus could have rose from the dead. This is what he says. If Christ has not been raised, then your faith, your worldview, your perspective on Christ even is futile, and you are still in your sins. So everything that we talked about on Friday, everything that we discussed last Sunday, all of the realities of our church family as it relates to what we believe about Jesus, all of it's a waste if Jesus did not rise from the dead. That's how significant this piece of Christian belief is. Martin Lloyd-Jones in The Assurance of Our Salvation writes, If it is not a fact that Christ literally rose from the grave, then you are still guilty before God. Your punishment has not been borne. Your sins have not been dealt with. You are, not, are you yet in your sins. It matters that much. Without the resurrection, you have no standing at all. So Christianity presents us with Jesus rose from the dead, and because he rose from the dead, you are no longer dead in your sins, but if you rose from their dead, there's also, as we're going to explore today, six other reasons that I believe are good news and that make a difference in our day-to-day -day life. I think you can imagine how we can believe these things and kind of have ideas and thoughts in the clouds about things, but how do they interact in my day-to-day -day life? Do they make any difference? And Christianity says, yes, the resurrection of Jesus changes how you see the world and how you live in a day-to-day life. Way. So here this morning, if Jesus rose from the dead, six reasons of how it changes things, and then one proposition for us to consider at the end. So one, if Jesus rose from the dead, and this is all found in Hebrews 10, you and I are forgiven and we are made holy. Now this is something that we talked about on Friday, we talked about last Sunday. Once again, the resurrection though is the pin, the linchpin for all of this to be in fact the case. You and I are forgiven. You know, every single one of us have standards for ourselves, in which we say, I want to live in this way. I'm sure that all of us could rightly confess that we've all failed to meet even our own standard which then you're left with the reality of, well, what do I do with that? Am I just, oh, well, whatever. I'll just like, it's not a big deal. Or you must live with the reality of, I'm not who I want to be. You try to, to go about different methods of finding forgiveness for yourself. And here in Christianity, Jesus says, I have forgiven you for meeting your own standard, but also for not meeting the standard that I have set for you and for your life. And so you are forgiven, but he says also that you are made holy. Now, I don't know about you, but that kind of, that language kind of freaks me out a little bit. It's like, me? I'm not, ugh, I'm not holy. This is the reality of Christ. He comes and dies in our place, and you and I are made holy. Our sins are removed, and you and I are made holy so that you and I can be in the presence of a holy and perfect God. Also, another uh, Keller quote in a recent book about the resurrection, he says, The resurrection is a powerful sign to our consciences that Jesus fully paid the penalty of our sin on the cross. It brings us a freedom that the cross by itself could not give us. 
So if Jesus rose from the dead, we are forgiven and made holy. Secondly, if Jesus rose from the dead, he is seated at the right hand of God. We find this in verses 12 and 13 of Hebrews 10. Let's read it. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool under his feet. Now you might be saying, well, what is the great good news of this? He's seated at the right hand of God. What does this mean? Two reasons. One, it means that Christ is our mediator and he is sitting beside the Father interceding for you and for me on our behalf. Romans 8 verse 34 puts it this way. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Hebrews 7 verse 25, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Now you might be saying, what does this intercession mean? Dane Ortland, in his book, Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers, writes this, The atonement accomplished our salvation. Intercession is the moment-by-moment application of that atoning work. In the past, Jesus did what he now talks about. In the present, Jesus talks about what he did then. This is why the New Testament weds justification and intercession, such as in Romans 8, verses 33 and 34, which we just read. Intercession is the constant hitting refresh of our justification in the court of heaven. I don't know about you, but I fall short all of the time. I do things, I say things I wish I had not said. And Christ forgives me, continually making intercession for me. Incredible. But another reason Christ at the right hand of God is good news, we read here that he's waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. This is speaking to a future day when the final victory is coming, when death itself will be obsolete. I don't know about you, but when I hear about someone passing away, there is always this very visceral reality that strikes you. And I think it's visceral, whether you're religious or spiritual or not, because we, I think, deep down recognize that this is not supposed to be the way that it is. Why are they gone? Why have they been taken so early? You'll sometimes hear about different deaths and scenarios and situations. Because death was not intended to be the end. And so with Christ, we are given life eternal, life unto the age. So if Jesus rose from the dead, we're forgiven and made holy. He's seated at the right hand of God. Thirdly, we have confidence in our relationship with God. Verses 19 to 23, we read, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. This point cannot be understated. Through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, those who have faith in what he has done have confidence to know that you are completely good with God. And this is a lifetime guarantee. 
This is eternity secured for you with God. Absolute and full confidence. Now, some, a question for you to potentially ponder here is, do you feel like you can have confidence in every single relationship that you're in? You know, you think about a friendship, you think about um, family. How about the confidence and assurance that you will be with this person for eternity? Not just life here, but eternity. This is the level and this is the degree of confidence that we have in our relationship with God. That as we cling to him, he has clung to us and will never let us go. No matter what. So we can have confidence in our relationship with God. Fourthly, if Jesus rose from the dead, we read here that God's laws are in our hearts and they're in our minds. Hebrews 10 verses 15 and 16. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declare the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Now the benefit of this is that the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, is inside of every single person who puts their hope and faith and trust in Jesus. And what he does, as we read in the scriptures, is he guides us towards truth. He convicts us of our sin. We can pray to the Holy Spirit to help us understand what the scriptures are talking about. Help us understand what's going on, and he does. Because his law has been written on our minds. It's been written on our hearts. We don't have to go somewhere else to get all access, we can have access because the Holy Spirit is inside of us and he illuminates the scriptures to each and every single one of us. Fifthly, if Jesus rose from the dead, we can have meaningful relationships with one another. Meaningful relationships with one another. Verse 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. So not only does the resurrection of Jesus have an impact upon our vertical relationship with God, it also affects our horizontal relationships with one another. It provides a foundation for how we relate to each other and then how we can interact with each other. And this writer, this author of Hebrews says and encourages us to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Encourage one another. You've maybe heard of the five love languages before. Uh, Gary Thomas was the first to put his finger on it. Uh, this works not only for romantic relationships, but also for friend relationships. And one of those uh, love languages is words of affirmation. I am a words person. My wife is a quality time person. I am a words person predominantly. And so she can uh, make a plan for a date and all these sorts of things. And it's not like I'm like, oh, this date was a dud. But when I go on that date, I don't particularly feel her incredible love for me. But if she says to me, oh, Matt, you're so handsome. Or, oh, Matt, I love you. You're wonderful. Or, oh, Matt, you, thank you so much for doing that yesterday. I feel loved. I feel encouraged. Maybe some of you can relate. Words of encouragement, words of affirmation. 
And what the scriptures encourage us to do, and what the writer is encouraging us to do, is because of our faith, because of our trust in Jesus, and because of his resurrection, you and I now, those who trust in Jesus, understand what he's done for us, and therefore we're enabled and empowered to love one another and to encourage one another, spur one another on. Who was the last person that you encouraged? Maybe somebody who's part of a missional community. Maybe it, somebody in your family. I want you to consider this seriously. Consider, encourage, spur one another on. And then he also says, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. You know, it's so easy to neglect meeting together. We fill our schedules with things. Sometimes we just, we don't have the energy to go. This is the encouragement. Go. Do not neglect meeting together. Pursue each other. And this can happen in different ways. As we've gone through COVID, we can certainly do this online to some degree and to some extent. We are not to neglect meeting together. Continue to pursue time with each other because of Christ's resurrection. And then sixthly, if Jesus rose from the dead, we have hope in the present and are empowered as we endure suffering and difficult circumstances. Look with me at Hebrews 10, verse 23. He says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Now, when I first read this verse, I was like, what is the confession of our hope? Well, the confession of our hope is our profession of faith in Christ. It's our trust and belief in the gospel, which is the good news of God rescuing and renewing creation through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so the writer says, hold fast to the gospel. Hold fast to your profession of faith without wavering, for he is faithful. He's faithful to come through with this confession. Look with me then at the details of this confession in action. Hebrews 10, verse 32 to 37, and then verse 39. It is written, But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, this is after you came to a saving knowledge of Christ, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed, exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised." For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. Look what is written. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. This is the reality of Jesus' resurrection for those who have faith and trust in him. That in the midst of depressing and difficult circumstances, we trust that there is a life to be lived after this one and an eternity that has been secured because of Jesus' resurrection. And what Jesus' re resurrection means is that you and I too will one day be resurrected. We do not need to fear death because death through Christ has been defeated ultimately. 1 Peter 1, 3-5 
Peter writes to a church suffering and being persecuted, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to what? A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. I'm not sure who it is that wrote it, but they said that our perspective on eternity should affect the way that we live now. Our perspective of what we believe happens after we die should have a change upon how we live our lives now. If we trust in eternal life, life forever with God, and ultimate resurrection when Christ returns, then we ought to live with great hope regardless of the circumstances that we find ourselves in. One day the world will be restored and it will be redeemed as the kingdom of God is continually breaking in and as it will one day have come to full completion. So six realities if Jesus rose from the dead. But then we're also left in this text with a consideration. And it's this. If Jesus rose from the dead, then you and I are confronted with a decision. And the decision is, did he in fact rise from the dead? Do I trust that this in fact happened? And the reality is what it means. Hebrews 10, 30 to 31. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The proposition is that if Jesus was, and if he is the Son of God, if he lived, died, and rose from the dead, and if he taught is true, then you and I must genuinely consider whether or not we will, in fact, believe him. Because what it says here is that his words have eternal consequences and everlasting consequences. And so we must decide, will we believe it? Do we trust in Christ? And so will you trust Jesus, his sacrifice, his gift of life for you? Now this challenges, as we oftentimes will look to, for the, the person that's trying to gain this salvation, this standing with God based upon their own merits or the things that they do, their own behaviors. It challenges this way of thinking because as it says, you can't save yourself. There's nothing that you can do to make yourself good enough or right enough to be accepted by a perfect and holy God. On the other side, there's those who live with a sense of license, who kind of do whatever they want to do and just believe, well, if there is a God, if he does exist, I mean, he seems like a loving gentleman. I mean, he'll probably accept me because I'm not as bad as some of the people I see on the news. And so in that sense, you're still standing upon your own behaviors, your own abilities. But what we learn as we come to understand what Jesus Christ came and did in his life, death, and resurrection, and then his ascension to the Father, is that he's made a way for us to the Father, not based upon what we have done, but fully based on what he has and the simple opportunity, the proposition is, will you trust what he has done for you, or will you continue to trust what you want to believe that you can do for yourself? 
And it's a position of faith. The person that believes this, it's a position of faith. We say, I have faith in Jesus. Where someone else says, I don't have faith in Jesus. I have faith in myself. And then we must live as our life continues with the consequence of those decisions. But it certainly is a choice for you and I to make. And the life that Jesus has given us through his resurrection is a beautiful one. It's not always easy. Suffering, we must persevere. Yet as Jesus says, I came that they might have life and have it to the full. And so I also trust and have faith. And this is a position of faith as well. To say, I am going to trust and believe that the Jesus way of life is the true full life. Because I look around and I'll see my neighbors, I'll see my friends, I'll see people on the internet and all these sorts of things. And I go, their life looks really full. But I need to trust, no, that is actually going to lead to emptiness. And only life in Jesus is going to lead to full satisfaction. So God, help me to have the faith to believe this. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for what your resurrection has accomplished for us. If you did not rise from the dead, then our faith is futile. We are still dead in our sins. All of the benefits of what I talked about today, Lord Jesus, are not fully true, are not fully available. And so we thank you, Lord Jesus, for your resurrection. You have risen, you've risen indeed, and so we celebrate that today and the spiritual implications that that has for each and every single one of us in our lives with you first and foremost and then with one another. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.